Welcome to the Soul of Islam radio podcast with Ahmed Saqamini and Emil Ihsan Alexander Tarabi. This is episode number three of season number one. My name is Ahmed Saqamini and I'm a researcher in atomic molecular optical physics, a spoken word artist, and deeply committed to sharing the fundamental connection between science and spirituality with our community and beyond. The Soul of Islam radio podcast is dedicated to sharing the deeper dimension of Islam and supporting your personal growth and spiritual development. Now, there are many misunderstandings and misconceptions around the very concept of Sufism, its origin, methods, and orders. Many even question its validity and condemn Sufism as an innovation after the time of the Prophet Muhammad. Peace and blessings be upon him. It is also claimed as an identity by many and used as a method for spiritual development by others. However, it is still widely practiced and studied and has been around since the birth of Islam. Now, currently, there is a great shift taking place and Sufism, rather the essence or soul of Islam, is beginning to resurface in our modern world, in a world where outward practices are prominent and worldly attachments are very strong. To help us shed light on what Sufism really is, is our very own Ihsan, the founder and creator of the evolutionary Islamic meditation program. Ihsan, assalamu alaikum. How are you feeling today? Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh, brother Ahmed. It's wonderful to be here again with you. And may divine peace and blessings, light, grace and goodness be with you, as well as with everyone who is tuning in to this radio program. It's wonderful to be here. So I feel the best way to begin, if we want to understand something like Sufism, is to understand where the word comes from. So could you help us maybe shed some light on the etymological roots of the word Sufism? Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. The word Sufism has several etymological roots that have been pointed towards as its origin. First, number one is the Arabic word Safa, which means purity. And purity is the goal of tasawwuf, the goal of Sufism, which is also known as tazgiyah or tazgiyat al-nafs, literally meaning the purification of the self. Number two is the word suf in Arabic, which means wool. And this was due to the woolen garb, the woolen cloak that many of the early Sufis wore as a symbol of their non-attachment to dunya, to the world, their freedom from luxury and excess. Number three is Ashab al-Sufa, which are known as the Companions of the Bench. This was an elite group of followers of the Prophet Muhammad who literally would sit on a bench outside his home and who devoted themselves primarily to the pursuit of spiritual development, the cultivation of spiritual excellence, and the purification of the self. And number four is the Greek word Sophia, which means wisdom. Again, pointing to the goal of Tasawwuf, the goal of Sufism, which is to cultivate wisdom, the real and direct experience, understanding, and depth, enlightenment, awakening. SubhanAllah, we even haven't started talking about Sufism and all the meanings point towards purity, transcendence, and enlightenment. Such beautiful ideas, uh, something that our society is missing. Now, let's, let's take it a little further. Could you um, maybe talk about the history or where it started and how it started? In the beginning, there was no developed field of knowledge known as Sufism in the time of the Prophet 
nor was there a developed field of knowledge as fiqh or tajweed, etc. These were all practiced by the Prophet, and the companions learned simply by following him, by seeing what he was doing and doing as he did. After the time of the Prophet, it became important to preserve the specifics of these different fields of knowledge. It became important to preserve the requirements of, for example, how to pray, how to fast, how to make wudu, ghusl, the requirements of the hajj, etc. It became also important to preserve the proper pronunciation and recitation of the Qur'an, and this was known as ilm al-tajweed. Likewise, it also became important to preserve or to pass on, to carry on, to transmit the science of self-purification, which is the goal of Islam, the internal spiritual surrender. And this came to be known as tasawwuf, as well as by other synonyms such as tazgiyah, tariqa, as well as ilm al-ihsan. The early companions of the Prophet ﷺ learned directly from the Prophet, and their companions learned from them. And during this time, these first few generations, the Islamic empire spread rapidly and spread vast from east to west. This resulted in multitudes of people embracing Islam, coming into the fold of Islam, and learning Islam not directly from the companions of the Prophet, let alone from the Prophet himself, or from the companions of the companions. As the Islamic empire succeeded and expanded, they came into great amounts of wealth and worldly success. And this, of course, led to subtle love of the world within the Muslim community. So also with the canonization and the need to preserve the external forms of the religion, there became a greater emphasis and a shift of focus on the forms, on the externals of religion. Piety became equated with form. And again, this was not the case with the time during the time of the Prophet ﷺ. With the Prophet, the emphasis was always on character. It was on intent. It was on spiritual development. But early in Islamic history, a shift took place in which there was a greater emphasis on the forms of religion. And again, this was as a result of needing to preserve the forms of religion. I see these two factors as the main reason for the birth or the explosion of the specialized field of tasawwuf in the early Islamic empire. Number one, love of dunya as a result of success. And number two, the excessive shift towards focus on form. A group of people began to see what was happening and realize, because they were directly connected to the way of the Prophet, that this was not the way of the early believers. And they began to withdraw from the excesses of society and maintain their focus on eternity, on spirituality, on development, on the internal dimension. Because of their great piety and excellence, they were referred to as Sufis by others, as those who are practicing tasawwuf or who are pure or a very elevated state within Islam. Okay, let's move towards the true meaning what is the true meaning and purpose of Sufism or Tasawwuf? The true purpose of Tasawwuf, of Sufism, is the true purpose of Islam, which is ultimately awakening and enlightenment. It's the transcendence of the self. It's the transcendence of all illusion and all fails, all that separates a human being from his or her Lord, from their Creator. Allah Almighty says in Hadith Qudsi that the Prophet ﷺ relates... I was a hidden treasure and wanted to be known, so I created. The goal of Sufism, the goal of Tasawwuf, is to realize that divine purpose, 
to become so spiritually purified from within, so empty of self and of ego, that human being is free from the veils that separate him or her from their creator, from their source, from their Lord, as well as to be free from all that separates them from everything else in creation, from the oneness of the ocean of creation. So to put it simply, the ultimate divine purpose of Sufism of Tasawwuf is the purpose of Islam, which is the realization of the absolute beauty of the divine presence in every moment, to awaken to the divine presence of Allah Almighty of God, the creator, the divine source, in every waking moment of life, and to live life from this state of spiritual excellence, this state of ihsan, to live all of life from this state of spiritual purity that then translates into everything we do. All of our actions are infused with this presence, with this light, with this love. Our beings are infused with compassion, with mercy, with grace, and we treat one another as well as creation, as well as all of Allah's creation with that same love and respect. Yeah, you mentioned the purification of the self, uh, enlightenment, uh, the inner dimension, the inner aspect of Islam, which are all beautiful. So why are there so many misconceptions uh, about, you know, or around Sufism? There are a couple of reasons for that. Number one, there are those who identify with Sufism, yet who may not be fully practicing Sufism in its perfection and its completeness, in its wholeness. There are some who identify with Sufism who may have left practicing the Sharia and who believe that simply or purely practicing spirituality is sufficient. This then can give rise to some within the traditional Muslim community, for lack of a better word, seeing Sufism as something on the edge or fringes of Islam. Number two, in the last couple of hundred years, for various reasons which we won't go into here now, there has again been this shift towards form and focus, almost a shift towards a literalist interpretation of Islam. And within that interpretation of Islam, there has been little room for spirituality, little attention given to the spiritual dimension. In many ways, Islam has been dumbed down in our current age, in our current world. And when we speak about Islam, we really stop at the beginning of what Islam truly is, at its very basic, superficial dimension. I suppose it's just a sign of the overwhelming materialism that plagues our world in general. This same sense of materialism has crept into the Islamic religion. This overemphasis on form really is still part of materialism, being focused on matter, on material, on form, on external. So it really becomes extremely important to return to the inner dimension of Islam, to return to a practice or an honoring an experience of spiritual development, inner development, the inner work. You know, what makes sense because there is such an emphasis on the form, you know, maybe that is why you see so many scholars focus on Sharia more. And from what I've learned that the inner dimension is called Tariqa. Is that correct? Yes, Tariqa is yet another synonym that is used for Sufism and Tasawwuf, as well as like we mentioned earlier, Tazgiyat al-Nafs or Ilm al-Hasan. Tariqa is another word that is used for that inner dimension, that inner path. And Tariqa literally means path, the path. Sharia also means the way. It, it generally denotes a wide path that is leading to life or to water. Tariqa is that inner path. 
that accelerated internal dimension within Sharia. And in many ways, it helps us navigate through the Sharia. Without Tariqah, there really cannot be a proper practice of Sharia. Sharia without Tariqah is the same as religion without spirituality, which is the same as body without a soul, without a heart. And what we end up being left with is a system that is governed by ego, that is governed by mind, and all of its lower passions and dysfunctions. Tariqah also implies the living connection between the individual and the Prophet And in all traditional Sufi paths, Sufi orders, Sufi schools of training, teaching, and thought, there must be this living lineage that can be traced directly back to the Prophet in an unbroken chain. If that chain of transmission has been cut, then that tariqah, that way, is no longer valid in the sense of carrying its spiritual prophetic light to this day. And subhanAllah, we are blessed and fortunate to this day to have many different tariqahs still alive, still being able to trace their lineage back to the Prophet in an unbroken chain of transmission. So tariqah refers to the path, literally, in Arabic, and you're saying it also refers to a particular order. Now, for some people who know or are aware of Sufism will ask the question, why are there so many orders? There are around, I believe, 41. Yes, there are traditionally 41 Sufi orders, Sufi tariqas. And the reason for the various different turuk throughout the Muslim world is specifically that, because Islam spread throughout the Muslim world. So different personalities emerged, different leaders emerged, great pillars of Islam and Islamic spirituality in different parts of the world. Some of these most people have heard of, such as Sayyidina Sheikh Abdul Qadir Jilani, Sayyidina Shah Naqshband, Sheikh Muhyiddin in Chishti, Sheikh Ahmad Rafai, etc. Great Sufi teachers of Islam and Islamic spirituality, and their lineages, their chains of transmission simply then took on the name of their great leaders, their great figures. All these different tariqahs lead to the same path, just like many tributaries, many rivers lead back to the ocean. They're all leading to the divine presence of Allah Almighty. That is the goal of all of them. However, different paths, different orders may have slightly different expressions, slightly different focuses. And again, this is because the Islamic world was so vast, the Sufi spirituality spread throughout the Islamic empire. One of the beautiful things about Islam is its ability to express itself in the culture that it finds itself, to take the best from that culture, from that world, from the knowledge that's available, to grow and evolve, and to continue feeding and nourishing the people of that part of the world. In the same way, these Sufi masters were able to reach the local people in extremely effective ways by speaking to them in languages that they could understand, in the context that they could understand. So just as you have many different universities providing degrees in different fields, such as law or medicine, you have different Sufi orders as well, providing specialization in the science of self-purification, the science of spirituality. A law degree from Harvard or a medical degree from Harvard is just as valid as a degree from Yale or Stanford. And in the same way, regardless of which Torika one follows, they're learning spirituality, they're learning self-purification, but it's all pointing to the same goal, the same destination. So perhaps a helpful way to think about the different Sufi orders is simply to look at them as different universities, different institutions. 
based on the same model that we're already familiar with. Could you possibly name some Sufi practices? In addition to the normal practices that every Muslim engages in and practices, such as prayer, fasting, zakat, which is charity, hajj, which is pilgrimage, etc., those who are actively pursuing tasawwuf place a great emphasis on the importance of dhikr, dhikrullah, the remembrance of Allah Almighty. Now, dhikr is mentioned throughout the Holy Quran, and in fact, the teachings of the Prophet ﷺ emphasize dhikr so much, even more so than all of the other practices. Once a man came to the Prophet ﷺ and asked him, Ya Rasulullah, the, the requirements of Islam are too much for me. He knew his limits. And he said, Give me one, Ya Messenger of God. Give me one practice that I can do that will be easy for me. And the Prophet ﷺ said, Keep your tongue moist with dhikr, with the remembrance of Allah Almighty. There's a spiritual, energetic connection between the heart and our tongues. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ always emphasized taking great care with what you say, with the words that come out of your mouth. And he said, if you can safeguard that which is between your mouth, between your teeth, I would safeguard for you paradise. So the goal of Sufism, Tasawuf, being the perpetual remembrance of Allah, being in this continual state of remembrance and awareness, this state of hudur, this state of taqwa, dhikr is used by those who are following Sufi traditions to continually purify and cleanse the heart, and to surrender, to quiet, and still the mind. Uh, to build on top of what you said, uh, there was something that I read in the book Deliverance from Error, or Al-Munqid Min Al-Dalal, written by Imam Al-Ghazali. He said that, I brought my mind to bear on the way of the Sufis. I knew that their particular way is realized only by the knowledge and by activity by the union of theory and practice. The aim of their knowledge is to lop off the obstacles present in the soul and to rid oneself of its reprehensible habits and vicious qualities in order to attain, thereby a heart empty of all save God and adorned with constant remembrance of God." End quote. So dhikr is very, very important. You know, for listeners out there, they might be wondering if I would like to take on a word of dhikr, is there a particular set of adhkar that they should do, or could they just say something as simple as la ilaha illallah, and what do you recommend? La ilaha illallah is known as kalamatayib, and that is a wonderful thing to continually repeat to oneself. The Sufis or the mutasawafin would make it so common in their practice that they were continually repeating the phrase la ilaha illallah, and when sometimes they were asked... Is it really necessary to repeat this phrase so much? The reply was that it was their intention that this would be the last thing on their lips should death come to them. And not knowing when that death, when the angel of death would arrive, they wanted to perpetually be prepared for that moment. So La ilaha illallah is a beautiful thing to begin reciting and repeating to oneself in a state of meditation and awareness with intention, with consciousness as a spiritual practice. I recommend doing that at least 100 times per day. And it's important, some people may ask, is it necessary to keep count? It's extremely helpful to keep a daily word, meaning an account of how much you do on a daily basis so that you can remain consistent. And with consistency comes development, with consistency comes results. The Prophet also said the best of actions is that which is done consistently, regardless of how small. I do provide additional 
suggestions and practices and adhkar in the Islamic meditation program for those that are interested in going a little bit deeper. Yeah, from my own personal experience, uh, I found dhikr to be very, very powerful. It was almost as if uh, it was a tool that caused something to resonate within my heart. Uh, it shook my heart to the point where I could just feel the dust that accumulated over the years just drift away. And in that moment, uh, I truly understood the meaning of dhikr to actually remember. I started feeling something very familiar within myself. And for me, that alone, that was a very transformative experience. So with that, I would like to say, or ask actually, do you feel like Sufism can transform our modern world? Dhikrullah, it truly is a gift from Allah Almighty. He says in Quran Karim, وَلَكَدْ كَرَمْنَا بَنِي Adam that we have honored the children of Adam. And of all creation, we have been gifted with speech and the ability to use that speech, to use that faculty to remember, to mention divine names of the Creator. It's a tremendous honor and a tremendous gift. And these divine names are words of power. They have certain vibrations, certain harmonic resonance qualities that do affect us at very fundamental levels. They affect the heart at a very fundamental level. And what Dhikrullah does is awaken the heart. It awakens the soul. It shifts connection from the mind and from ego, from constant thinking to presence and stillness, to the heart, to the soul. Sufism really can and must transform our world. Tasawwuf, Tariqa, Tazkiyat al-Nafs is what is necessary more than anything in the modern world because the modern world has become completely dominated by ego and by its characteristics of fear, greed, anger, hatred. This ego consciousness is destroying our world. It's destroying our planet. It's destroying our culture. And Tasawwuf, Sufism, is known as the way of the heart, meaning that its purpose is to shift consciousness from this ego mind to the heart. Al-Nafsa Allah Almighty also says in the Holy Quran that Dhikrullah leads to Tatma'inul Qulub, the certainty, the calmness, the peace, the security, the serenity, the tranquility of the human heart. If we as human beings could operate our lives and govern our world from this place of spirituality, our entire world would change. We've been gifted and blessed with so much on this planet, yet egoism, ego-based consciousness is destroying it. We have the technology as well as resources to end not only world hunger, but world violence. Yet it is only fear and greed that perpetuates this cycle of insanity that we see all around us today. Islamic spirituality is meant to lead to peace and to tranquility, to a world based in spirituality and divine presence. When Allah Almighty created humanity, the angels asked, O oh Allah, are you going to create this creation that will spill blood upon the earth and create mischief? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, I know that which you know not. Meaning that there is a divine purpose to creation. There is an end. There is something that humanity is moving towards. A human potential that Allah put in our hearts and our souls. A secret, a divine secret. The divine secret of khilafah, of divine deputyship. And all of life, all of reality. 
is necessitating that we awaken to this truth, to this reality, to this purpose, and to this potential now more than ever. We literally are at the precipice, meaning that we don't have the luxury to remain unconscious any longer. Our unconsciousness is destroying our lives collectively as well as individually. Our families are falling apart. Our world is falling apart. Our communities, our societies. We must evolve. We must change. We must transform. If the universe serves one purpose, it's evolution, it's growth, it's development, it's progress. And Islam serves that purpose, to continually move a human being forward, forward towards the divine presence and our own innate divine potential. The old maxim says, change or die. In many ways, we find ourselves at that place right now in the world, again, individually as well as collectively. We must transform, we must change, we must evolve because the old ways simply don't work any longer. And Sufism is the way forward. Islamic spirituality is the way forward towards change, towards metamorphosis, towards evolution, towards transformation, towards the awakening, the flowering of human potential. This consciousness which transcends ego-mind-based consciousness, consciousness of the heart and the soul. Islam and Sufism really is about becoming selfless, meaning to become empty and clear, purified of the self, of selfishness, of self-centeredness. The way of the Prophet Muhammad was the way of selflessness. It was the way of purification. It was the way of spiritual excellence. And in fact, when he first began teaching Islam, began teaching the way, he first called it tazkiyah, purification. Sufism, tasawwuf, is tazkiyah. And nothing could be more necessary in the world today. So do you feel that Sufism has a role to play also in the political world? I believe that there's another possibility. The current system of governance among human beings is one that is still based in the very thing that creates the very problems we try to solve. I believe it was Einstein who said, you cannot solve a problem with the same level of consciousness that created it. All of our problems are caused as a result of operating from ego consciousness. And using that same ego consciousness to solve our problems only creates more problems. When our leadership, when leaders operate from a place of transcendence, from a place of enlightenment, compassion, and love, our entire world will change. We can potentially be living in a paradise, in a heaven on earth, were this the case. And inshallah, the day is coming when this will be the case, as is the divine destiny of humanity. What we require now in the world is enlightened leadership spiritual leadership, not fundamentalist or extreme religious leadership, but spiritually enlightened leadership. Leadership that is based in consciousness and awareness. Leadership that is based in love and humility. Leadership that is based in selflessness and empathy. SubhanAllah, that is the way of the Prophet Muhammad Wasallam. Now, besides the misconceptions and the lack of understanding what Sufism really is. Do you think there are other reasons as to why Sufism is strongly opposed by extremist groups? Extremism in general is a movement that is fueled by the lower self. It's a lack of consciousness. It's a lack of awareness. And subhanAllah, even a path that is designed to liberate a human being or to free a human being from the self through the dissolution of the self becomes hijacked by that very self for its opposite purpose. What I mean by that is, 
Islam came in its spiritual dimension, tasawwuf, tazgiyah, to purify a human being of the self. Yet it is too easy for the ego to then attach itself and identify with that path and use it not to purify itself from, but to use that path as a means to augment its sense of self, to perpetuate its sense of self, to continue the separation, to create enemies for itself. Again, religion without spirituality becomes the antithesis of its very purpose. Religion must have spirituality to be balanced. And this is why Imam Malik, one of the great scholars of Islam and the founder of the Maliki school of thought, the Maliki Madhab, said that one who follows Sharia without following Tasawwuf corrupts his very soul. And one who follows Tasawwuf, spirituality, without following Sharia, religion, corrupts the way. Only by honoring and caring both can one attain to al-haq, the truth. When religion is missing its spiritual dimension, it's like a body missing a soul. It's like a body missing its heart. It's purely driven by ego, purely driven by the need to preserve itself at the expense of others. And so the cure for religious extremism, fundamentalism, is spirituality. It is tasawwuf. It is cultivating love and sincerity and compassion in your heart and operating from that place. It is operating from a place where you know you are one with the rest of humanity and that all separation, all differences are but veils of the ego. When living and operating from the heart, extremism and fanaticism become impossible. So can Sufism be abused or can it be harmful to the individual who is following its path? In the same way that religion in general has been hijacked by the ego, Sufism as well has been hijacked by the ego. And the very same thing that we see in religion, this strong identification with it to the exclusion of others, happens within the world of Tasawwuf as well, within those who claim to be following Sufism. That's when Tasawwuf, or Sufism, becomes more of a cultish experience than its true purpose, which is a universal way based in self-purification and self-excellence. When Sufism is used to identify with and again to create separation and differences among human beings, then it's not serving its purpose. It's gone astray. It's no longer Sufism. So the true Sufi would never actually identify with Sufism. And in fact, the early Sufis did not identify with that term. It was a word that was used to describe them by others. To identify with Sufism, to call oneself as a Sufi, is actually in contradiction to the very principles of Sufism. Number one, it is cementing and creating and augmenting a sense of self and identity, a way of presenting oneself as special in relation to others. And number two, it's claiming spiritual excellence. Sufi is a term that is used to describe the highest state of perfection within Islam. Who can identify as such? Who can go and introduce themselves as such and to be able to say, yes, I am a Sufi? Now, of course, this happens and many people may not have the understanding and they may be doing this innocently. But to truly practice Sufism, to truly practice the Sawaf, is to transcend all sense of egoic-based identity, all temporal attachment. And that includes labels such as the word Sufi. Okay, so there's the whole misconception with detaching oneself from the world, Zuhud. Does Sufism really require the follower of its path to really renounce the world? Sufism, or Islam, requires a human being to transcend the world. In some level of development, perhaps it's helpful to 
walk away or step away from certain attachments for a time if that is possible and to live a minimalist lifestyle for a time to cultivate this non-attachment. But the reality of zuhud is an inward state. It is a freedom of the heart. It's a freedom of the soul from attachment. This doesn't mean that you don't live in a home or drive a car or have the basic needs and necessities that are now common in our world. But it means that you're not attached to them, that they do not occupy space within your heart. The way of the Sufi, the way of the Muslim, the way of the believer is to have, but not to hold. Real zuhud is to practice zuhud in the world. It's easy to be a saint on a mountaintop or in a cave, but the real test of one's personal excellence, of one's spiritual development, is to be in the world. To be in the world, though not of the world. To be free from the world, yet operate within it. When we look to the example of the Prophet he led a very balanced life. He married, he had children, for many years he was a businessman. He met all the responsibilities and requirements of a normal life, and he told his followers to do the same. There were some who tended towards extremes, and he always advised against it. Sayyidina Shah Naqshband, one of the great masters of Islamic spirituality, in his Principles of the Naqshbandi Sufi Way, stated as one of the principles, seclusion in the crowd, meaning that the perfection of the way is to be inwardly with Allah Almighty, inwardly in a state of presence, in consciousness of your Lord, but to be outwardly, outwardly with people, to outwardly physically be with everyone, laugh, joke, help, work. And another principle of the Naqshbandi Sufi way, in fact, was to have your hands with in work, occupied with work, but your heart occupied with the Qurullah. So physically to be in the world, but inwardly to be not of the world, to be with Allah. Now, if this balance is not maintained, then it can be counterproductive. It can actually become harmful. The Prophet also described his path as a middle path, never tending towards any extremes. And for the Muslim, for the Sufi, we must also aspire to walk that middle path, that straight path, Sirat al-Mustaqim, never tending towards extremes. And we will, but as we continually overcompensate, we try to correct ourselves, to come back to center, to come back to that straight path, and to live that balanced life. Of course, in the Quran, Allah Almighty says to ask and to pray for the good of this life, as well as the good of the other, of the afterlife, of the hereafter. And for the spiritual seeker, for the believer, for the Muslim, for the Sufi, everything serves that purpose. Everything serves the purpose of spiritual growth and remembrance of the divine. Whether one is eating, he is doing so, or she is doing so in a state of presence, in a state of consciousness, intention, and with gratitude. Not purely eating just for the pleasure of eating, but doing so as an act of worship. That's the way of the Sufi, to live every moment from a state of presence so that every action, everything you do, and ultimately every step and every breath becomes an act of worship. And this is beautiful because one can be a student of Sufism or a follower of Sufism and be successful in the world. This is very promising. And inshallah that uh, removed any misconceptions or have clarified what Zuhd is in Islam. Now, it is really clear now that Tazkiyatun Nafs, purification of the self or Tasawwuf is really the essence or soul of Islam. 
Is it safe to say that the essence of Sufism was practiced by all prophets before Muhammad So at this point, I would like to take a step and equate Sufism with Islam. Islam is Sufism. Sufism is Islam. These are different labels, different words, but they point to the same thing, the same path, the same way. And Allah Almighty says in the Holy Quran, all prophets were Muslims and they taught Islam, meaning that all prophets taught surrender, spiritual surrender, surrender of the self to the divine. So the label aside, and the label is not important because the previous prophets didn't use the word or the label Islam either, but its essence, yes, they practiced, they taught. The way has never changed from the beginning of time till the end of time. The way will always remain the same. The path is al-Islam, spiritual surrender. Allah Almighty said, I have perfected this way for you and have chosen for you al-Islam as your deen. Sufism tasawuf is about surrender at the most fundamental level of your being, the surrendering of your mind and your heart and soul to the divine will of the Almighty. Sufism tasawuf Islam is about coming fully into harmony with eternal divine will in every moment to become free and to relinquish all resistance to divine will as it manifests in each moment to become internally purified of resistance to become internally purified of fear and of anger and of greed etc to become spiritually perfected from within this was the teaching and the way of all prophets of Allah Almighty from Adam alayhi salam to Noah, to Abraham, to Moses, to Jesus, to finally Khatm al-Anbiya, Sayyidina Muhammad Mustafa sallallahu alayhi SubhanAllah. So it's it's not just Sufism that we have to come back to. It is Islam itself that we have to come back to as a Muslim community. That's actually correct. And the Prophet sallallahu said, a day will come when nothing will remain of Islam but its name. And many will recite the Quran, but it will not descend below their throats. And they will call themselves by this name, but they will be the furthest ones from it. Now, SubhanAllah, look at the beauty of this hadith. How the Prophet says that they will recite the Quran, but it will not descend below their throats. Meaning that it will remain trapped. Their understanding of the way, their understanding of religion will remain trapped in the ego mind. It will not descend. Its reality will not enter into their hearts, into the souls, because they've left spirituality. Spirituality is the way back to Islam. We must return to the origins, to the purity of Islam. When the Prophet first began teaching Islam, the emphasis again was on spiritual development. It was nearly a decade before any of the requirements of Islam were established. In the beginning, there was no requirement for formal prayer in the way that it was established much, much later. Or zakat, or hajj, or any of these things. For years and years, the teaching and the tutelage the training of the Prophet was on spirituality. Now when a person comes to Islam, it's done in a very backwards manner. They're already loaded with all of these physical obligations, rules and regulations, and there's almost no emphasis on spiritual development. We must again, we must again come to balance within the Muslim community. We must balance our physical practice with internal spiritual practice. Now, now forgive me for using the word Sufism again, but... Is Sufism learned or is it experienced? Because we live in an information age and we also live in a time where uh, Sufi masters or guides are inaccessible or even rare. The reality of the transmission of knowledge 
It's actually a very important subject. And the reality of transmission is from heart to heart. This is why the companions were the companions and they have such an elevated rank and station among all human beings because they were the companions of the prophet. They learned directly from him. There was a transmission from his heart to theirs and from their heart to their companions. That's why the Prophet said, the best generation is my generation and then the one after that and then the one after that. Because after that, after that third generation, there would be this loss, generally speaking, of this chain of transmission. However, the Sufi Tariqas preserved it. So while there can be great benefit in recorded information and knowledge that is passed through books and recorded mediums, the reality of the way its true benefit is experienced through associating with or accompanying a spiritual teacher, a spiritual master, one who has attained a deep level of sincerity, piety, humility, and development. Shanakshpand, who we quoted earlier, also said, Tariqatun as-suhma wa fil jamia meaning that the way tariqa is in sahba, it's in companionship, it's in association. Because through association, we learn in very subtle ways what we can never learn just purely through intellectual information. There's a principle that's now understood in personal development known as the law of association. And it basically states that you become who you associate with. The Prophet taught us this millennia ago. And he said, do not associate with any to whose state you do not aspire. Do not associate with any whose state you do not aspire to become or to reach. And the Quran commands us to be with the truthful, to be with the pious, to be with the sincere. As human beings, we learn best from human beings and we're meant to learn from one another. When Allah Almighty says that he's preserving his religion, Al-Hafiz and those who, are, who have memorized the Quran are known as Hafiz of Quran, Hafiz of Quran. The Qur'an was originally preserved in the hearts of human beings, meaning that this religion, this way, is preserved in the hearts of human beings. To truly believe in Allah is to believe in humanity, to believe in His creation, to believe and to know that there are human beings that by Allah's will, to this day, are walking the earth and are carrying the reality of the Qur'an in their hearts. It's hidden, its inner meaning, its true meaning, its essence, its reality, not just its words, that these human beings that for these human beings, the Qur'an has descended below their throats and has taken root deep within their hearts and souls. And that's what guides them. It is the light of Prophet Muhammad so on the light of prophecy that guides them, that leads them. And they're connected to the Prophet through their lineage. I also believe that if a person is sincerely seeking and asking, Allah will lead them to a source, to a way that will lead back to His Divine Presence, to a pure source in a clean way. We must be sincere in our asking. We must be sincere in our path. This is how it was for me. When I first began earnestly studying Islam, I quickly realized there are way too many interpretations. There's too much knowledge and I had no way of navigating through it. There were too many different interpretations, different ideologies, different movements within the faith. And I quickly found myself in a place of great distress. And so I began to pray to Allah, Ya Rabbi, send me someone whom I can trust. And it was miraculously, literally within a week or two, that I got a phone call about a sheikh that was going to be giving a lecture or discourse here in Southern California and that I might be interested in checking it out. And I went. And from that moment on, I knew that this path had what I was looking for. This was the connection and the reality and the truth and sincerity that I was looking for. There's an old saying which says that 
the teacher or the master will arrive when the student is ready. Nothing happens by coincidence. Nothing happens by accident. Everything is by Allah's divine will. Even you who are listening to this podcast, to this show, are not listening to this by accident. You are at a point now in your life where your soul is ready for the next step, is asking for more, is asking for a deeper experience. And it's by Allah Almighty's will that you've been led to this point. So for those who are seeking, my suggestion is to trust in Allah and ask. And ask with sincerity. Ask for truth. Ask for the best path that will lead you back to the Divine Presence. And you will be guided. It's for this that you have been created. You were put here on this earth to find your way home, back to the Divine Presence of Allah. And a human being that is asking for that will not be denied. Do you feel that uh, Sufism or Tasawwuf is for everyone, or is it not? I believe that yes, Tasawwuf, Tazgiyah is for everyone, and we're all here to become purified. But everyone's at a different stage in their personal journey. For some, it's more necessary than others. Some still have time and may have some level of comfort in their life where they can continue as they are for a while. But there are those who can't continue as they are. There are those whose souls are asking to be awakened now. And if they do not heed that call, their circumstances will increasingly necessitate that they do. We ignore that call at our own peril. And it's important to heed that call back to the Divine Presence when you feel it, when you hear it. Otherwise, the circumstances of life become increasingly heavy, difficult, and the consequences become increasingly more severe. Allah Almighty's will is for humanity to awaken. And as we said earlier, we're at that precipice collectively, as well as individually. Our world and our lives are overwhelmed and falling apart. And wherever we look for distraction, or however we try to suppress the real need, it arises again. The solution is spirituality. Not running from Allah, not running from yourself, but facing yourself, going inward. Again, chances are if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably at a point where your soul is asking for a greater level of awakening and awareness. You're probably dealing with circumstances that need a solution. You probably can't find comfort in the way that others can. This is Allah Almighty's way of gently nudging you towards His Divine Presence, towards Him. Ya Allah, I'm sure everyone would agree with me, no matter who you are, no matter where you are in life, what status you have, each and every one of us feels something is missing inside of us. Some of us fight it so hard to the point where we suppress that feeling and we ignore, which is really the root of kufr. But this is it. And this brings me to my final question for our listeners right now. If they wanted to, how can one apply tasawwuf in their daily lives? Take time daily for your personal and spiritual development. Set aside some time daily for meditation, for contemplation, for reflection. The Prophet said, one hour of meditation or contemplation is more valuable than 70 years of worship. Our world now or our culture conditions us to continually entertain ourselves. Basically, to continue to put ourselves to sleep into a state of unconsciousness. But Islam, the way, religion, spirituality is about awakening. It's not about staying asleep or falling asleep. It's about moving forward. It's about progress. It's about evolution, not about falling behind or regressing. So take some time daily for your personal and spiritual growth, for your spiritual development. Set aside at least 20 to 30 minutes a day for yourself, for your development. Use that time to meditate, 
to reflect in a state of presence, to make dhikr, and to cultivate this spirituality in your heart. Learn to still and calm and surrender the mind. Learn to operate from a place of feeling rather than thinking. Learn to live your life from your heart and soul rather than from the mind and the ego. And of course, continually seek knowledge. Continually learn. The Prophet said, Seek knowledge even unto China and to be a learner always throughout your life from the cradle to the grave. Islam is the way of knowledge. It's the way of light. Continually seek knowledge. Continually learn. And he also prayed, Ya Allah, increases in knowledge that benefits. So seek that most beneficial type of knowledge. The knowledge of spirituality, of tasawwuf, the knowledge that teaches you about yourself. And that, of course, is the path back to the Divine Presence. For the Prophet also said, They who know themselves are as they who know their Lord. Seeking the Divine Presence of Allah, the spiritual path really is the way home. It's the path to you, your true self. Most of us go throughout our lives strangers to our own selves. We don't even know who we are. But Islam, Sufism, Tasawwuf, spirituality is meant to connect us with our own souls, ultimately to manifest in this world, in this creation, as that perfect and sublime manifestation of the divine that you were created to be. Then let us all begin to repeat the words of La ilaha illallah every day to the point where the light of those words fill our hearts. This brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you so much, Brother Hassan. Thank you, Ahmed, and thank you to everyone who's tuned in. Alhamdulillah wa shukrullah. And a special thanks to all the listeners out there. Please make sure to subscribe to our show. Please visit our website at soulofislamradio.com. There you can get free access to a multimedia course to help you to rediscover the spiritual dimension of Islam. There you also find uh, subscription links to services such as iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn, uh, links to our personal blogs and social media profiles, and a form for you, the listeners, to send us feedback and or suggestions for future episodes. And with that, may the peace and the blessings of Allah be upon you. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.